Hi, I'm Isa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of the Ringer F1 show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall. Chosen by champions. It is the Ringer F1 Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark, joined by Spanners is in Barcelona right now to discuss George Russell's win in at in Brazil at Interlagos in a dramatic, thrilling, perhaps the best race weekend of the year. Hello, Spanners. Hi, I couldn't get all the way to Interlagos, but I thought that Barcelona, Barcelona would be a, a good analogous region. The sun has been shining here all day uh, on my head as it has been on George Russell's career. So yeah, a momentous day really in the history of Formula One, a new race winner. Certainly he was suitably impressed. He wasn't, I, I wondered whether like Alex Albon, when he got his first podium, the first thing he did was go, oh, it's a rubbish trophy i think it was the french Grand Prix. <laughs> it was the gorilla podium trophies and he was like oh, why did i have to get a podium on the rubbish trophy george russell suitably overwhelmed by yes. the by the occasion and it, it was really good to see so you know a rising star probably confirmed this is like the stamp yes. of authority isn't it on his is he a top driver one thing george russell is quite good at is being sufficiently grateful for everything in the way that you and i would like it is so amazing to even be on the grid. It is so amazing to even, you know, like last year, I think people, there were a couple people making fun of kind of over celebrating his Williams podium. Um, <laughs> I don't agree. I think that you get to celebrate everything, celebrate the little victories and then getting the Mercedes seat. He was just like so outwardly happy. And then today he's got tears in his eyes. He's FaceTime on Total Wolf. Like he is, I feel <laughs> like he is properly um, overwhelmed by the yeah. majesty of it all in the same way you and I would be. And I feel like that's actually like kind of nice to see. So like, even if I go to the paddock, you know, if I'm by a racetrack, I am like a, a puppy just chasing yes. infinite amounts of mailmen, you know, of postmen going, oh my God, this is the best day ever. And I, I looked around the paddock club at Silverstone, just dropping that I was in the paddock club at Silverstone. No big deal. No Corporate big deal. guest, no big deal. Uh, but looking around, there were some people who were genuinely, you could see in them, they were bored and it was ordinary. And I was like, yeah. no, you guys need to go and give tickets to all people like me who will be super excited. Right. Um, what you don't want to see is bored athletes because they're living our dreams. 
That's right. Daniel Ricardo walking around with a huge smile on his face for the past yes. 12 years. <laughs> like, that's what I would be doing. You could not wipe the smile off my face, no matter how many P20s I would rack up. And make no mistake, I would rack up P20s. All right, let's get into what happened today, because there is so much drama. And there was, I don't know, I think we all thought that, you know, this this track produces interesting results, but, you know, I don't even know. I think that after after qualifying, K-Mag is, is on P1. I think we're all sitting here and saying, oh my God, this is going to be the drama of the weekend. I don't even know if we're going to get to that, Spanner. It's like, there was so much on Sunday they knocked it off its pedestal. I was fascinated by it. Let's start with Merck and what they did. Andrew Shovlin okay. was on post-race, and he said it's the same car. They made no adjustments. They just had a good weekend, which is funny because Lewis coming into this weekend said, track doesn't really suit us. Um, there was so much sort of politicking back and forth about who was well-suited for it. It was funny because on, I, I was listening to BBC the other day, and, and or this morning, actually, and Max was like, oh, Mercedes look unstoppable, whatever. And it's like, no, Max, you don't get to do that. You don't get to do that in that car. Um, but it ended up bearing out. Uh, what did Mercedes do right today on Sunday to to get this one to result. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because, yeah, it looks like on paper maybe they took a big step forward. But I think the progress that they've made has been more of a progression because it's not really come out of nowhere. We've seen them threatening to get results. We've seen them yes. threatening over the last few races to, to pick up wins and then maybe the strategy hasn't quite fallen. I think you've got to say where they are relative to Ferrari is probably the clue. So, do we think Ferrari took a big step forward to overtake Red Bull this weekend on terms of pace and ability? I, no offense to the Tifosi, don't want to get any hate mail. Pro <laughs> probably not. Uh, Ferrari are on a bit of a, a downward slide to oblivion. I mean, 2023. So Mercedes have probably just had a natural progression where they've overtaken Ferrari. And it just looks like Red Bull have gone completely missing this weekend. And you could tell on the sprint weekend on the mediums, they just weren't turning them on. They weren't working. You wondered, oh, was that tyre-specific thing? But I think no, just mm -hmm. for whatever reason, they didn't have the characteristics of this, this track figured out. Now, this season, this regulation, we have seen more track-specific results. So, like, if you look at the battle between Alpine and McLaren, that has flip-flopped basically tra track by track, hasn't it? And depending on yep. who suits it the best. My, my current theory, though, is that Red Bull, after getting pinged and getting a penalty for breaching the 2021 fines... They've got Ooh. to 2022 and gone, oh, blimey, we've done all the same stuff that we did in 2021. <laughs> I reckon they've just run out of coins for the meter. <laughs> That's an amazing theory. <laughs> well, um, all right. So both Andrew Shovlin and Toto were asked, Toto via FaceTime. We're back to the, we're back to the 2020 Zoom, Zoom calls uh, in post-race. Asked if, if this was an indication that Mercedes could take the fight to Red Bull in 2023. And we've tackled this question so often, but never after a George Russell win, um, never after a Mercedes 1-2 in 2022. And it's interesting to me because I think in the same way, it seems like everybody sort of, if you don't sandbag on time, you sometimes sandbag in the media. And, you know, we've heard, there was a report even this week that, that it might be till the back half of 2023, that Mercedes thinks that they're going to have a car that can compete week to week. Did you see anything this week um, that made you think differently about 2023? Uh, or is this just sort of, as you said, a kind of a confluence of Red Bull uh, kind of powering down for the year because they're just sort of watching themselves and, and Mercedes, I guess you'd say, regressing towards being yeah. uh, t towards the mean of being the most dominant team over the past eight years? Well, if your regression to the mean is being back on championship form, that's pretty well, good position yeah, to be that, in. Well, yeah. 
I once yes. I got I got lost in that analogy and I I felt like I I, I kind of I spun out a little bit but I recovered and then I felt like you <laughs> did, did you kind of out, nose, nose into out. the wall and then reverse yeah. back and then recovered it was Lando's I didn't need I didn't need worry. a safety car I didn't need a safety <laughs> car I'll tell you that much I didn't need a safety car you have before so uh, yeah so with Red Bull to be clear I don't think that they have taken their foot off the gas I think this was uh, you know their genuine best effort at, at this track and for whatever reason with the temperature and the mediums they just had understeer. And, and that car is developed around Max Verstappen's style. He doesn't want understeer. He wants it all pointy. I don't think they had that pace on the mediums. And, and that kind of just led to this general crescendo effect of them not being up there. But as for Mercedes, we've got a few little clues, which is obviously at the beginning of the season, they were doing testing to get rid of that porpoising. But now they have hinted or, or more or less said that they're, they're doing testing on the 2023 car, gathering mm -hmm. information for 2023. And, and they feel like they hit on exactly why or what decision it took them right. down that path. And it's something to do with the floors, but the I think floor, it's, yeah. yeah, they say, no, no, that we thought we could run it low down to the ground, but we, we can't. And that was a mistake. I mean, I think it was probably more to do with the fact that they went with no side pods at all when yeah. all the other cars have got no side pods, but they just don't want to say, and they're embarrassed. But that 2023 car is going to turn up with some giant bathtub <laughs> the biggest, side pods. The biggest pods you've ever yeah, seen. Yeah. Just like overcompensating. We're not making there that mistake again. The reason it's taking so long to build the car is because they're trying to find the biggest pods on the yeah. planet. They're just scouring far they're and out wide. Of carbon the fiber. Yeah, Carbon fiber prices out. have gone through the roof just because Mercedes are looking for, for bigger side pods. But no, I, I think they are going to be on it immediately they are a team that um, under promises and over delivers mm -hmm. so you can you can factor in you can bake in a, a few tenths on them going oh we're probably we're probably half a second off so much to get to i don't want to spend it harping on on uh on this issue but i do want to ask All right. is russell getting the win today change anything how you feel about the driver hierarchy going forward in the next couple of years of mark so, so what you're saying is George Russell has claimed his first victory. Would you like to pour any <laughs> damp rain on those celebrations? And I kind of, I will a little bit. Okay, so okay. Um, with Nico Rosberg in 2016, should Nico Rosberg have won the 2016 title specifically? Not really. It was a bit spawny. It was a combination of uh, basically they could only get a seven point advantage because they were getting one twos mm -hmm. in every race. And then Rosberg had a bit of luck with the Malaysia engine blowout and basically got four victories all at once, got him the title. So no, he didn't deserve that specific title, but was he good enough to win one out of four teammate battles with Lewis Hamilton? Yes, that seemed about right. Maybe one out of five, one out of six. Is George Russell good enough to occasionally beat Lewis Hamilton on any given Sunday? Yes, of course he is. But if you look at that race, Firstly, of course, he caused the red flag in qualifying, which meant that he got P3, kept his P3, and Lewis Hamilton ended up in like P8 or something like that. Uh, if you look at the pace today, I think it did look like Lewis Hamilton was still the stronger unit and the strongest driver. But is George Russell good enough to pick up a win in that scenario? Yes. And I don't think every driver on the grid would have won where George Russell did today, especially holding off Lewis Hamilton on merit on that last stint after the safety car, you cannot take that away from him. All right. There's so much to get to with Red Bull. I want to start here because we I, I opened this up to questions and of the, I don't know, 80 or 90 questions we got, I'd say a good two-thirds with this one, the same exact topic, which was, <laughs> what the hell is going on with Max Verstappen and Checo after Max refuses refuses team orders, um, doesn't let Checo through, and he says, I have my reasons, I've given you my reasons, 
so the theory on the broadcast um, from Martin Brundle is has something to do with, with Monaco and that maybe there was bad blood from there. Is there some simmering driver feud we didn't know about Spanners? They, they play it so clean, don't they? That yes! Checo Perez, he's just, and I'm a big Perez fan, but you know, I think even Perez fans are like, yeah, let's celebrate the good job he's doing playing rear gunner, follows every single order, never so much as inconveniences Max Verstappen. I believe he's working on a, 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 an attachment on his car that makes his car ghost and go invisible so that Max doesn't <laughs> even have to drive around him next season. So we thought it was kind of all happy. and and and. Uh, but that, that message, there was a message with Sergio Perez and his engineer, and it went like this. Perez said, um, thanks for that, guys. Thank you. Christian Horner comes on the radio and says, I'm sorry about that, Checo. And the race engineer says, we'll debrief everything afterwards. And the quote from Perez is, yeah, this shows who he really is. I've never heard him say a bad word uh, about Max Verstappen. And that came through um, the, uh, the race, have tweeted that as the transcript, usually very reliable. That's yeah. actually, that's high drama. This is soap opera stuff. This is insane. This is insane. <laughs> they've they've clinched the constructors championship. Yeah, why are Max they fighting has clinched now? the driver championship? Like what now? It felt like the the reason I'm so stunned by this banners is that it felt like there's been five opportunities this year where there's been more I mean we Checo his voice his displeasure in very careful, hey, we're over the radio ways. And the fact that it all comes yeah. out now in Brazil, is everybody jet lagged? I don't even understand. Is everybody <laughs> tired of each other? I mean, like, it's like the end <laughs> of a, a really long vacation when you're with a bunch of other families and you're just like, De um, I don't, I, I, I actually, yeah, I actually just don't want to meet with you for dinner tonight. Like we've had dinner for the last like nine nights. So I'm just going to hang out. Are, are you comparing with, them just, to just overtired four-year-olds that are suddenly getting into a fight at yeah, preschool? At, at, cl at Club Med. Yeah, that's exactly what yeah. I'm doing so uh, if you remember barcelona when he could have conceivably yes verstappen was coming through on newer tires but barcelona you can hold people off they asked him to let max through and all he said was that's not fair let's talk about that later so he has been very calm and politicky he has enjoyed his victories he enjoyed the monaco victory it, is that what you're saying did verstappen think that he was owed something at monaco that's what that's what Brundle said, and I oh, didn't no. that, that that when he yeah I I don't know I don't know that he crashed out um and then that they cost he felt like maybe he would deserve something I don't know mm. I, I couldn't really follow what that was but they brought it up like three times so, and so, so clearly, I assume yeah. I assume there's some kernel of information that had been floating around the paddock over the past couple of weeks that's the only reason I bring it up it didn't seem like baseless speculation because it's a very specific thing to say oh here we go um so this is via. Eric Van Heeren, and this is a quote from Tom Colonel uh, at Viaplay, and this is saying that there is a belief from Max Verstappen that Perez deliberately crashed in qualifying in Monaco, yeah. and that and that is uh, what Max Verstappen is still holding a grudge about. So that's but his reasons for not. He was waiting fifth and sixth. He was, but he was just waiting for this, just waiting for months to be like, it's time to be an like he had a little button, yeah. uh, an asshole activation button that he presses for everybody else in the world, but against Checo, who's just waiting for the exact right moment to press it. I don't think he's come across very well out of that uh, Verstappen. So. That's all I'll say. I, I don't, I, I, I just don't know where this goes. Like they got a Christian Horner on, on November 13th. And I think he thought he was going to, you know, kind of sail right into the off season here. Uh, I think that he's got a problem on his hands. He's got to get a little summit together. He's got to get a, he's got to crack open some Heineken's and get these guys on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that wasn't the only, the team orders, of course, 
that were slightly tense well, this weekend. They've, uh, listen, Alpine has has less to worry about as far as 2023 cohesion goes because this team's getting broken up. Um, Ocon and Alonso, who boy. And I, so that was another issue where, so Alpine had told Ocon not to fight Alonso and Ocon tried, it felt like to me, like tried to deny <laughs> team orders and then they pushed him on it and then he was like, well, I'm going to pass the medal. And he tried to like explain it's I, I've actually done this before many times in my life where like you try to be a dickhead and then like in your head, your speed, the wheels are spinning and you're like, oh, I, that was too much. And then you're just like, oh, what I actually what I was actually trying to say was and you have to save it. Ocon was doing that except over the team radio and not like, yeah. you know, in a work environment. It was more interesting from the engineer's point of view, because the engineer was basically trying to be really tough like a parent and you know, I do this with my son, you know, I go, right, you, you do that again, and, and it's no Xbox for a, a week. And it, I'm serious, <laughs> I am definitely, I'm being clear to you, do not do the bad thing, or I will take away your Xbox. And then in the back of my head, I'm really thinking, hang on a minute, if he, if he does this, I have to then kick off, go into full angry dad mode, take away the Xbox, I want to play Xbox as well, so I don't actually want to go the nuclear option. So the engineer pushed, pushed him twice, tried to lay down the authority, do you understand, acknowledge me, do not fight Fernando and Alonso uh, Ocon actually didn't concede at any point. He basically said, "Mate, no. I'm fighting. I'm fighting Vettel. I'm, I'm fighting Vettel." And then the engineer saw an out, which goes, "But does that technically mean you're not yeah. saying no to fighting Alonso?" So that was interesting. The the engineer came on the radio, tried to lay down the law, and it just it just didn't wash. It didn't land. Uh, Alonso, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm crazy here, and I, I am such a huge fan of, of the chaos that Fernando Alonso brings to the grid. I never want him to retire. If you're Aston Martin, I I I, I don't know. I, are you what are you how are you processing this knowing that the one half of this of this feud is coming on over? <laughs> well Fernando and Alonso, yeah, he's it's so weird because you can see how happy the Alpine engineers and team was for him uh, and when he was doing overtakes they were they were giddy with excitement his engineer clearly yes. has a very good relationship with him even though alonso is openly you know during uh, the sprint race where he basically hit and wrecked his teammates power unit then doubled down on the radio going oh oh see it's our friend again so it's it's like what he did at mclaren he's like galvanized perhaps half of the garage to him and still seems there's still a lot of support for Alonso, even though he's basically dropped them for a, a, a lower place team, really. So he's just such an interesting character. He clearly has this ability to, to galvanize people around him and, and just, I mean, look at him, you listen to him. He's a charming fellow. I, I'm sure that if he was mm -hmm. to come on the ringer, we'd, I'm, I'm an Alonso fan. He's got everything we need. He's got charisma. He's got passion. You genuinely b believe he lives and breathes racing he puts a lot back into youth racing but then he makes himself so hard to like with this kind of doubling down gaslighting politicking he did it to Kimi Raikkonen and that's like kicking a, yep. a, a, a foal you know he would be on the grid saying yes I think I qualified well because look at where Kimi Raikkonen is and that's his teammate and so I, I, I just don't understand how it's going to work at Aston Martin where the the second driver or like the principal point that team exists is going to be not as good as him. But look at how Lance Stroll has been fighting Sebastian Vettel. Basically, well, he shoved uh, Alonso off 
was it the last mm-hmm. race or a couple of races ago, mm-hmm. causing that safety car with that big crash? Did exactly the same thing nearly in the sprint race with Sebastian Vettel. It's just that Vettel got out of the way in time. That is going to be fireworks. I just do not see how that works. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by Mobile One. The Mobile One brand knows podcasts are a great escape. You can listen to people talking about living and maybe even driving, but of course, there's no substitute for the real thing. So the next time you're looking for an escape, try an actual escape. Take this podcast for a ride in the car and immerse yourself in the drive. Because sometimes the best way to escape reality is to truly live in it. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash the ringer to learn more. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Uh, Speaking of radio communication, uh, Eric Hansi has a listener question that I think we need to get into right now. Has this season finally broken Charles Leclerc? Oh, it was, uh, it sounded a little bit, lame didn't it from our point of view i was going to use a, a harder harsher word there but it was like please guys i need the points hey guys and he's like that guy going you know but that's my stapler he was the that's my stapler guy you know those yeah. are my points please get us, get us to swap and and it was risky i think the ferrari engineers were right when you've got a gap of 1.2 seconds what you're saying is please consigns drop into my DRS zone and give DRS to, was it Verstappen behind? It, it was way mm-hmm. too risky. It was never on. It was never going to happen. Or was it Alonso behind? Uh, I think at that point it was Alonso. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah it, was, it was never on. Uh, and uh, yeah, not quite as dramatic as the, as the Red Bull one because the maths kind of do work out. But yeah, I think, um, I don't think people watching like this kind of manufacturing swapping of positions. I think we'd rather see cars racing. And when you had George Russell on the radio going, so uh, I'm just checking with Hamilton behind me, are we racing or or are we just bringing it home? Because I don't mind. If you want to just bring it home, I don't mind just bringing it home, but I'm cool, whatever, you know, just, you know, whatever you want to do. I, I, I'm actually, I could imagine someone, whether they're an old fan or a new fan, I was about to say new fans, but I, I, I wouldn't mm. imagine anybody likes this. 
I mean, how much of a turnoff is it to to watch this sport and just see the uh, you know people saying, "Oh, I I would love to get into P two. That'd be great for me." Like, I just just race. I know you can't make it dangerous, and we've seen, we've seen far too many situations of a title campaign or you know, team chemistry being wrecked by some an incredibly dangerous situation. But within reason, I don't think we can just sit around manufacturing results here amongst teammates. No. I just really think that's bad for the sport and bad for the entertainment product. But what I think this does show is that whenever you are tempted to go, oh, it's a dead rubber, it's an end of season dead rubber, there's nothing in it, they won't care. Of course, Verstappen will give up fifth. Of course, signs will swap. And, 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 and why would they care? Because it's only for second place. It's not for the championship. I think these guys turn up every single weekend and every inch, every meter, every point absolutely yes. counts. And, and I love that because in F1, a lot of seasons finish a little bit early. It's always worth tuning into the final races. But I'd also say that, you know, there's such a, we don't think about it. Like the, the National Football League, almost every contract uh, with the exception of the superstars is unguaranteed. There's a a culture of you're not, every time you go on tape and do anything, uh, you're not playing just for that game. You're auditioning for 31 other teams next year because it's just nice. so reckless. <laughs> reckless is the wrong word. It's just so... Um, things can change so quickly, right? And NFL teams will just say, oh, you know, we're going to cut these 20 guys and don't even think about it, right? And in, in F1, it's only 20 spots on the grid. And who's really guaranteed a grid spot three years from now? Who really? I mean, there's not many, probably five guys. Like, guaranteed. Like, if they just lose... Four, I mean, Daniel Ricciardo, I think, two years ago, if you had said he's off the grid, <gasps> yeah. you would have said, What? Wait, Danny yeah. Ricardo, like even even if he even if he can't race anymore, still marketable. Nope, dude. You, you th- one thing led to another, and all of a sudden he's off the grid. And so I do. And think it's that, that teammate we, battle, we, isn't we, it? The teammate battle is the biggest yeah. one in that. Yes. And so you think about the idea of just like that. There is a, a a type of desperation within these teams to say, you know what? I can't get shut out by my teammate. I can't give up. If I'm Carlos Sainz, I can't. When I have an opportunity to beat. Leclerc, and he's not going for the World Drivers Championship. And he said, think about the title race. What? To beat Checo? Buddy, figure it out. Do that on your own time, brother. Don't do it on Carlos Sainz's time. <laughs> yeah, when you I put it like I that. Just, I, I just can't imagine anyone watching the sport likes this. Uh, well, look, it's not, it's not a new problem. I mean, team orders did used to no, be specifically banned. Uh, and I can sort of in my mind, the one that comes up the most is a Barrichello being told to give up to Michael Schumacher in 2002 and very nearly didn't do it. Like they slowed down <laughs> just enough so that they were on the start finish line at exactly the same time with Schumacher a bit ahead, just kind of just proving the point like, Hey, this could have been mine. But the thing is the record books, the drivers are aware the record books don't show yes. the team orders to turn it around. Right. It'll just show one more podium and really asking Carlos Sainz to give up a podium in that situation. I was never going to, it was, it was ludicrous really to ask. No, it's ridiculous. There's a scoreboard and we obey it. We obey the scoreboard and we want it. That's how we judge things. We don't judge it on radio communications. Okay. Um, let's talk about two things. Number one is the absolute chaos at the beginning of this race. Not ju- So the, the first lap was astounding. Then there's a seventh lap restart that was also absolutely chaotic. Um, let's start with the top with the first lap. Ricardo, Kevin Magnuson. Kevin Magnuson had such a great weekend. We're all rooting for him. We were all so happy. And he, Ricardo clips him. Kind of, there's, there's a kind of two, two sort of separate uh, hits. Uh, they both get it good. Uh, what'd you say? Okay. Well, let's see. The first contact. I had seen some people kind of suggesting that maybe Magnuson had checked up 
too much. But that is that is very legitimate on the first lap. And essentially, you are not obliged to get on the power at any specific point with any specific amount of power. So if you want to crawl around there to make sure you don't hit the car in front or as Magnussen was doing, to make sure that you get a good run down into the second corner. Remember, there's still cars piling in side by side at this point. So he's perfectly entitled to pick his his pace. And it looked like Ricardo realised too late that that was happening and then had kind of hoped that Magnussen would be done with the stuttering. So he sort of seemed to anticipate Magnussen leaving and then and then it's a it's a full-on bump. You know, to me, there's no question that's Daniel Ricciardo's fault. But what was more interesting was, as I'm sure a lot of track racers will know and carters and sim racers, if you get spun around like Kevin Magnussen did, and this is a bit of a tin foil hat here, I've already been told off by race drivers for saying this. <laughs> if, if you get spun around like that, what Magnussen is supposed to really do there is be as predictable as possible, which in 99% of the cases is hold your brakes. And this is what I'm assured by pros. He let the car roll and it just happened to specifically, exactly, precisely, accidentally hit the car that took him out. So I don't know, the more generous and more realistic one is that he released the brakes so that he could sort of go back and get clear. And it just happened that Ricardo was there. But in a series of events, if you want to look at it linearly, Ricardo takes out Magnussen, spins him around. Magnussen lets off the brake, rolls backwards, straight into the heart of the car that punted him. It did look a little bit sus at the time, but I, I very much doubt that uh, that a driver would want to take himself out of the race in even even the most heated moments of a flash and bang. But they did um, go and give each other the, the tap on the butt afterwards to be kind of like, yeah, we're cool, we're cool. So it didn't look like anyone was too upset. But yeah, it's disappointing with K-Mag because... Uh, he gets a pole position on a sprint yeah. race weekend. So it's kind of meaningless because he he dropped down to, yeah. to eighth place and then didn't even get a chance from eighth place, which is still pretty good and it has. He didn't get a chance to then move forward and, and see what he could do. Because um, this this was a race where lots there was a lot of attrition. People like Bottas were up in fifth place. Vettel was up in fifth place at, at, at one point. Alonso ended up there. This could have been a good result for, for Magnussen. And it's yet another kind of cross in the box for Ricardo. Is Kevin Magnuson, if you were to poll F1 fans, who clo- who polls the closest to 100% on the grid? Just no haters whatsoever. Oh, oh no haters? Well, I think um, yeah. a lot of people, and I like Kevin Magnuson. I, I do like his aggressive style. I think he is an aggressive driver. How many front mm. wings has he gone through this season? 47 mm. front wings. Yeah, that's equivalent to the Red Bull catering budget for lunch. So <laughs> he is aggressive. However, uh, I think some pe- I think he is sort of universally liked, but you know, I don't think there's actually he he don't think he generates the strongest kind of fan divide among Right. Drivers, oh no, I don't like. think Yeah, I, I don't think he has that I don't think his favorables are all that like amazing. I don't think that they like if you're measuring actual like feelings toward K-Mag, they're all pretty they're within a pretty narrow range. Yeah. I just think that I just never and there's I've never heard anybody be like, man, that Kevin Magnuson really gets under my skin. It was a popular pole position. And I think that's um I think that's yeah. okay. Except for Nico Hulkenberg fans who were like, Ugh, Oh, well that's yeah. If you well, next know, year, you know. next year. <laughs> oh yeah. A lot of opportunities back, next year. That's the that's um that's the rumor, isn't he, that he's back at at Haas. I'm just, no? I've seen some rumors. Yeah, I've seen some rumors. Yeah. I haven't I can't tell now that now that anybody can pay for Twitter blue. I'm now just not listening to anybody reporting anything for the next couple of weeks. Cause I see By these the check way, marks I'm, and it's like, yeah, 
I'm going to do that because I've been jealous of people like you and fancy reporters lording it over us with your blue check mark. I'm going to pay my $8 and I'm going to be important too. Oh, yeah. You're doing this little song here. They they got rid of it for the time being. No, they backtracked. Yeah. Yeah, they oh, backtracked. Shit. There were too many imposters. There were too many fake spanners oh, trying to get gosh. in there and reporting, reporting that Hulkenberg was a done this deal. This is the um, most disappointing so, yeah. thing since the Brazilian sprint race took away most of the interesting <laughs> strategy elements of today's race. All right, we're waiting towards, uh, we're not, this isn't the last question I'm going to ask, but I wanted to wait until the back end of the podcast to ask about the Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen incident, um, just in case you have a take that gets us uh, canceled and and gets us uh, I'll a, try. Bunch of, a bunch of new blue, <laughs> new blue checks coming out of, uh, coming at us in our verified tab. Uh, Verstappen, five second penalty fair? I think it was absolutely spot on. I was really surprised, uh, but there is a bit of a difference about how things are being stewarded this season and next season uh, and last season. So 2021, they had a very much a kind of let them race philosophy. But I, I think the, the, the regulations have been changed this season specifically to stop the kind of things that Max Verstappen was doing last season. And I'm not really mm-hmm. picking on Verstappen because... Hamilton had a reputation for doing this against Rosberg. Leclerc has a reputation for doing it. But I think Verstappen did the most extreme version of really just shoving people off track. And, you know, mm-hmm. Brazil last year was absolutely crazy down at turn four. He went like wider off than the width of the track. You know, he went another track over pushing Hamilton off. And that was considered no penalty. I think he did it at Imola. And basically, anytime he had a car alongside him, he, he was just, you know, he was just shoving off. So they did this kind of rule about saying, well, now we want you to be ahead in the corner. Otherwise, if there's a crash and you're not the one who's ahead in the corner, we're kind of, we're going to penalize the car coming from behind. So if you're, if you're ahead on the outside of a turn, I think we discussed this last week with, with Schumacher. If you're ahead at the apex on the outside, you're entitled to not be shoved off. If you're behind and the inside car decides to use all the track, then it's perfectly right that you then jump off the track or bail out. And so I think in this decision, they've decided that Verstappen wasn't far enough alongside to really like warrant a, a big amount of room or a big gap. And um, so they've given him that five-second penalty. Uh, but obviously, Verstappen fans are arguing that Lewis Hamilton squeezed him. I think it is, is a really interesting one to analyze because... I think my opinion at the end of the day is that it was a bit of a two-footed lunge. He, he's kept his foot in around turn one. And generally at Interlagos, if you don't have it side by side on the outside of turn one, you're not going to make it into turn two. But he's fully accelerating at the point that, that Hamilton is slowing down for the corner. So you see Verstappen go mm-hmm. from kind of, you know, a third of the way alongside to suddenly a little bit more on the outside because he's got no real intention of, of not, not intention, but he's got no possibility that he was going to make that corner in a normal way. So he's gone right round the outside of turn one, left himself a really narrow line into turn two. And I think, honestly, Hamilton could have left another car's width. And it, it was a bit of a squeeze. It was hard for Verstappen to stay on. You needed to be going a lot slower than Verstappen was to stay on the track there. But Hamilton could have been another car over. And I think Verstappen would still have hit him. It was, it was just a bit of a two-footed lunge. It was optimistic from too far back. If I was Hamilton's driver coach, you would say to him in these previous years, look, we know what Verstappen is like. We know how he races. In that situation, it might be worth just heading to the exit a little bit early to give him like a ton of room. But mm-hmm. you know what? That didn't, that didn't do Lewis Hamilton any favours in 2021. In fact, 
you could argue, really, it lost him the championship. So I don't see why Lewis Hamilton has to yield every single time Verstappen decides to just pile in and hope that the seas are going to part. So yeah, good decision by the stewards. I don't mind those two rules about going alongside and when drivers are expected to yield or not yield. Uh, I don't mind those rules at all. I think it's a positive step forward. It could do with refining, but you will be surprised how little racing rules there have actually been in Formula One up to this point. It's been very hard as a fan to play along and play like, you're the umpire, what's the call? This season, we can play at umpire a little bit. What do you you think, Kev? Go on, go on. You're going to defend Verstappen, your favourite. No, I had a follow-up question. No, no, no. I generally agree with you. But you had said in your text to me that you thought there was a way Hamilton could have won this race. Oh, yeah. And I'm curious when when you think the inflection point was in the race that that, that made the determination. Okay, so uh, on paper, really, Russell's in control. Hamilton's got better pace. That that doesn't really matter if you're in eighth place. So he's he's started further down the grids from the sprint race. And then he's obviously tangled with Verstappen. So you could say if you were Lewis Hamilton's coach, yeah, but if you'd get given Verstappen all the room, uh, but then Verstappen would be in that title fight uh, and not, you know, back down to P9 or wherever he went. But there was a key moment where Hamilton had made his initial softs last a little longer. He had much faster pace on the mediums as well. And they bought, brought George Russell in. So this is now into the final tyre phase of the race. I think Lewis Hamilton wanted to stay out on those tyres. And it wasn't to do like a miracle one-stopper to somehow hold on. George Russell would have had the pace on the softs to come through. What Mm. Lewis Hamilton would have had his eye on is the safety car gamble. And this season, in this era of F1, there's a safety car nearly every race. And I I, I tweeted half partway through the race, this has been a great race and we haven't even had the pay driver-induced safety car yet. You know, surely your team for your strolls <laughs> going to do something at some point. So it is perfectly valid to wait. And, and if you're feeling good on a set of tyres, go, hang on, no, no, no. Give me three, four, five laps. I'm feeling good. Let's see if a virtual safety car comes out. Let's see if a safety car comes out. And George Russell has, has done this a few times through the season as well. Um, so I don't think there's an issue with making sure both drivers are on the same strategy. And, and Lewis was really screaming to stay on those tyres. And lo and behold, four laps later, Lando Norris just gives up and just parks it on, on the side of turn three, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And, and that virtual safety car, in fact, they, they didn't put out virtual safety car for, for a while. They were doing it under double-waved mm-hmm. yellows, I think because he was on the inside of the corner, so there's kind of less danger. But they went virtual safety car, which gives you a sort of a half-pace grid stop, if you want. But that alone would have been enough to put Lewis Hamilton up at the front. And, and so he, he clearly wanted to take that safety car gamble was was overruled because that was um, because the soft tire was better, but Lewis was going for the win. Mercedes were protecting the one two, but for mm. for Hamilton, you go well. I'm happy to lose P two potentially and end up in P three. Oh no! Uh, if there's a chance that there's a virtual safety car and I win the race, which there which there was, so I think that's how Lewis Hamilton could have won win, won the race. How do you view the end of the season? So we have one more race. You and I will be doing this. Next Sunday, yeah. You re- are you ready for ready for uh, the the I guess the, whatever the F one version of hot stove is. That's What's what they hot call stove? I've never heard it's it. They, it's what they call the off season in baseball, the hot stove league, because because <laughs> you're just you know you're just everything's going on while it's cold. So uh, me personally, I, I'm I'm looking forward to a rest, which in my world means only putting out like one bit of content 
uh, per week for my show, which don't worry, I'm not here to plug um, my my uh, my F1 outlet. Don't worry. You're about just wearing that, a T-shirt that says it, just in case. Yeah, you're but you don't do a video version. But you can follow me at Spanners Ready on Twitter. Obviously, you that can. would be very lovely. Um, so I think a lot of people in and around F1 and in F1 media and even fans uh, have have yet to adjust to this length of season. I think come five years' time, it will be perfectly normal that there's a triple header break, double header, triple header, triple header, triple header. That will become normal, but F1 fans have not been used to that. You know, I grew up watching 16 races a year for for like the middle chunk of my F1 fandom. So am I ready for this hot stove coal break? Is that what you called it? Hot stove Hot stove league. Hot stove league. Every podcaster next year needs a reserve driver. There we go. And a test driver. And a test driver for like squad rotation. Squad rotation. In in my podcast that I'm not plugging. Uh, we do do that. We do squad rotation because there's just too many races at the moment. Uh, well, I, I love it. And you have the depth. You have the depth. You're like Mercedes. Um, yeah. Spanners, we will see you next week for the last podcast of the 2022 <laughs> race season. We'll have some other stuff um, coming down the pipeline. You'll be back, I'm sure. Uh, there will be, I think we'll have some special guests to wrap up the season as well. We will see you next Sunday, buddy. Cheers, KC. Thanks for inviting me. This has been the Ringer F1 Show and Ringer Podcast Network. Thank you to Erica Cervantes for production help, additional production supervision by Juliet Lipman. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 